0: Good morning again. Welcome. Well, I'm so excited. We're starting uh, the greatest story today and um, really, really uh, been thinking about this a long time. There, there are a lot of ways to study the Bible, to approach the Bible. One, one way is to do it book by book and uh, our ladies did this. Uh, some of our ladies did this over three years, uh, a study called The Amazing Collection which covers every single book of the Bible, and walk through that. Great study, I'd say. There's a Bible survey model. There's systematic theology that you can do. Um, Whatever model that you use, whatever model that you use, it is the greatest story. Because if you think about it, we we have a crisis. We have a crushing, hopeless dilemma. And we have a hero who overwhelmingly triumphs beyond our wildest imagination. That's the story of the Bible. Our human dilemma and our hero, King Jesus, and the difference that he makes. So whichever model you use of how you tell it, it is the greatest story of all. The model I'm gonna use is one that I was taught when I was an undergraduate in Bible college many years ago. And it's been sitting on my shelf for these years and I could not get away from it. Um, it, it kind of captured my heart and I hope it will capture yours. Um, maybe to tell you about that, it, it's really rooted and grounded in the fact that there is a story and there is a destination And one of my arguments last week for uh, the trustworthiness of the Bible was the one, if you remember that I talked about, there's 66 books in the Bible, 66 different books. They were written over 1,600 years from like 1500 B.C. to 100 A.D. And there's a diversity, there's a diversity in the book. All different kinds of people wrote it, from shepherds to historians So a medical doctor, even a lawyer got in there. I don't know how that happened. But anyway, um, all that involved in this. And yet, in the midst of this, in the midst of this, if you think about this, there is a unity to the Bible. There is progress to the Bible. It's going somewhere. I'm a firm believer that history is indeed His story, that God is in control of where we're going in history. And so my emphasis in the way that that I'm approaching this study is from this idea that there is a unity to the Bible and there is progress in the Bible, and so you're probably going to hear that a lot through the series. From the creation that we have in Genesis chapter 1, to the earth being filled with all the glory of God that we talked about last week, a restored earth with no earthquakes, no tornadoes, no hurricanes, no droughts, a place where there is peace, no injustice, no prejudice, people who love God, true peace, true wholeness completeness all that we could ever hope for and more i believe that is coming one day so today we start with the first 11 chapters of genesis first 11 chapters of genesis this is the beginning of the story and and, and as we're going to see in the book of genesis and these first 11 chapters the bible is very selective in what is recorded someone has described the bible as the most selective book ever written. I don't know about that. I do know that we get multiple chapters about seemingly ordinary events and then we'll get a few verses about something that seems pretty big to us and it's just passed over. Now why does God do that? I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes we just don't know the answers to these things. But when we see that God does something and says something time and again, then we have to stand up and take notice that it's really important. I would read all 11 chapters of Genesis this morning, but all we would have time for would be the scripture reading. So in lieu of that, I will read chapter 3, if you would follow along in your Bible. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But The Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me. She gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Hmm. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbirth, childbearing, excuse me, and in pain you will give birth to your children. I think in the subnote in the text it says, thank you, Eve. Uh, no, just teasing. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the earth, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return." Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us. Knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides now, and forever may he bless the reading of it. We're going to do a a flyover of chapters 1 through 11 today, and and shout out to uh, Lisa for coordinating this, and to uh, Nathan and Hannah Lee and Aubrey Hammond for putting these boxes together for me to help us have a visual. What we're going to cover today is about 2,000 years, if you can imagine, from Adam up to Abram, or later known as Abraham. So we're going to be going fast, and I'm going to hit the high spots. Um, There are 11 chapters, and I think 12 sections, and you'll understand why in just a minute. But I'm going to try to just get us through these if I can. In chapter 1, and I hope you've been reading along. This was not too long of a reading for you for a week to read 11 chapters. In chapter 1, we have creation and God creating everything in six days. Six literal days or six long periods of times. There's There's argument over what the Hebrew word there means, and it can be translated both ways. I don't have a problem with that, once you acknowledge that there is a God, there is a creator God who made everything, he can make it in a second, he can make it in a day, he can make it in a thousand years or a million years. I, I don't get hung up with that. Um, God did it. God created everything in six days. On the second chapter, In the second chapter, we see that he rested from his labors. Let's go back to chapter 1. There's a verse I want us to see. Where is it? Yeah, Genesis one twenty-seven. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. So we need to understand here that we're not going to see anything else like this. Now, go through the rest of the Bible. You're not going to see anything else like this. Man and woman are the only things that are made in God's image. Now, there's animals that are bigger and stronger and more, far more powerful than us. There are angels that do his bidding. And it tells us in Isaiah that one angel in one night slew 185,000 Assyrians. But they're not made in his image. Only human beings are made in the image of God. Also, in verse 28 of chapter 1, not only did he create us in his image, it says... God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and fill it. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But this is God's plan. And we saw this in chapter 1. In chapter chapter 2, we see that he rested on the seventh day. And we see some details about the creation of mankind and naming the animals and all of that. And also there's a mandate about marriage that's given to us in chapter 2. That we take as a timeless mandate. That's the leave and cleave and be united to your spouse and become one flesh. The goals that God has for us. Chapter 3, which I just read. Uh, The whole chapter is on one event, and that is the disobedience of Adam and Eve. Satan is introduced, and temptation and sin is introduced, and there is God's discipline in removing them from the garden. And so we're getting a a glimpse of, I think, what's going to be a big principle that we see all through the Bible, and that God is holy and just and pure. He cannot tolerate sin that's going to be a principle that we're going to see time and again through the Scriptures. And yet we see, we see a God who cares about humanity. And in the midst of this great creation, in this little dot on the planet called Earth, He cares about human beings. He cares so much. We get a hint of this when we see that He made coverings for Adam and Eve. Uh, a precursor to the idea of a covering for sin. A plan to cover us for our sin. And so that is hinted of God's love and God's redemptive heart. We see this in chapter 3 in Genesis. In chapter 4 we have Adam and Eve and they have two children, Cain and Abel. And you may know the story how that Abel was pleasing to the Lord and Cain wasn't. Uh, And let me just say this. this. It matters how we live and what we do. And everything we do doesn't mean that God, the love of God doesn't mean that he loves everything and everybody all equally in the same way for what we do. We can please God and we can displease God. And Cain's offering did not please God because it was not God's way. What's interesting I see is that the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, succumbed to temptation and sinned. And now we see the Human beings number three and four, and we've got a problem again. We've got jealousy, we've got anger, we've got rebellion. And you know the story of how Cain killed his brother Abel. So we have only four people on the earth, (laughs) and and you see all the dysfunction already. In fact, I forget how many accounts of family dysfunction there is in the first early books in the first book of the Bible, I should say, in the book of Genesis. Someone's counted that up for us. I don't have that. Chapter 5 is a genealogy from Adam to Noah. There is a little glimmer of God at work in the midst of this and from the life of Enoch. It says this in chapter 5. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. God took him away, just like he took Elijah away. God transported him to heaven without dying. Chapter 5. Chapter 6. We get to chapter 6, and we see mankind left himself, and there's a problem in verse 5 of chapter 6. It says this, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Can you imagine, can you imagine that? He goes on to say the Lord was grieved that he had put man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. God's heart was filled with pain. So the Lord God said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them, but... Verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So, again, mankind left himself. God's plan is that this whole earth would be filled with human beings and animals and full of his glory and pleasing to him. But we see that mankind left himself goes astray. And yet, there's Noah, one person, who stood up against the current of his day, and I think there's a powerful application here because it looks like Noah was the only guy. He's the only one that God saved. I got to think he was the only one who was seeking God, and everyone else was going in a different direction. And I don't, I don't know your, your situation. You may be the only one in your family. You may be the only one in your workplace. You may feel like you're the only one in your in your dormitory or your apartment building or where or your community. Whatever it is, you may feel like you are the only one. Uh, You know, if you're the only one, you belong to a pretty good fraternity. You belong to people like Enoch, people like Noah, who stood for God and walked with God when the current was flowing in a different direction. So God came up with this plan, and and it's a great plan, and the story of Noah and and building the ark, and all this is a a tremendous Bible story. In fact, my brother just got back from going to Kentucky to see the replica. They've built one up there. Have any of you seen that? Anybody been up there yet? Anyway, full scale, you know, 450 feet long, and I forget, six stories high or something like that. Uh, So Noah built this boat. Now, I don't think Noah had much help, because again, the world was full of corrupt people who didn't believe in all this, so as best we know, Noah, maybe with some help from the boys, his sons built this boat for probably decades, decades of building a boat, and they never had rain and never had a flood, and he's building a boat on dry land, okay, what an act of faith, what an act of faith. But he built it. God, they went inside, and it says that God shut the door when they went inside. They, that God shut the boat, shut the door. Why did God shut the door? I think it was a pretty painful time because I got to think when the floods came that people came and they wanted to get in the boat, and it was too late. The hour of redemption, the time had passed which is a sobering note to all of us as, 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 as we look at the scriptures and we realize that the Bible says that there is one life, and after this life, there is judgment. And we have one life to decide for Christ while we are still breathing. And their day was closed. And the story is the same for us. There will come a time when the, the door will be closed for us if we don't respond to the gospel of Christ. Chapter 7 God did what He said. He destroyed the whole world, except for Noah and his family, and two of all the animals and seven of all the clean animals that they would be using for sacrifices, so they had more of them that they kept on the boat. Chapter nine: Noah and a new beginning. Oh, back to chapter eight. And chapter eight is the water's reciding, receding, I should say, from the Earth. And, and the whole earth was covered with water. For it says for for uh, 150 days, five months, the whole earth was covered with water, and I always wonder about in the and I don't I don't know if this is true or not, but I wonder about the dating and the age of the earth and all the geological stuff that they have. Has anybody ever wondered what would it what would be the impact on the geology of this earth, of the whole earth being covered with water, the weight of water on this earth? The billions, maybe trillions, I guess, of tons of water pressing down on the earth. And then when they ran off the earth, think about the Grand Canyon. Just think about that. With the waters receding from the earth and what that water draining off of the earth would do. Just a thought. I don't know. Anyway, chapter 9. We see Noah and a new beginning. And there's a verse there that's worth looking at. Uh, Genesis 9 6 says this Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed, for in the image of God has God made mankind. And this is the, the verse that reminds us of the uniqueness and the sanctity of human life. The whole idea that he instituted in the Old Testament, the concept of capital punishment. Now, don't want to get off into an argument about that because I think we have to temper that today by our knowledge, um, our knowledge of the inequities I think with capital punishment and that innocent people have died via capital punishment. And I don't know how to meld all that together. I only put the verse up there to remind you of this: human life is unique. It is different than animal life. It is special to God because of what? Again, we go back to chapter one. We are made. In the image of god we are the only being that i know of on this earth and perhaps in the universe but on this earth for sure that is made in the image of god at the end of chapter 9 it says that uh, god put a rainbow on the sky and he said that the rainbow would be a symbol that god would a reminder to us that god would never destroy the earth with water again he would never do that and so um I know the rainbow is used for other things today, for other symbols today, Uh, but it's God's symbol, and it's our symbol. It's a reminder to us that God's not going to destroy the earth again. And when you get all the way over in Revelation chapter 4, there is a a rainbow over the throne of God as well. So in the early days and the late days, the rainbow is God's symbol. Chapter 10 is a book of genealogy, the line of Noah. And then in chapter 11, the first part of chapter 11, we have the Tower of Babel and the scattering of the people. If if you remember this, the world was kind of repopulated once again and its man's attempts to be significant, to make his own mark. And it says they were wanting to stay in one community. It says in verse 4, they wanted to not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They didn't want to be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And what did God say back in chapter 1? He said he wanted to be fruitful and multiply and what? Fill the earth. And they wanted to stay together. They wanted to huddle up. And God says, I want to scatter you. And so that's where there was the confusion of tongues and people began to speak in different languages. And and all that happened. And then the very last part of chapter 11b is the genealogy from Shem, who was one of Noah's sons, all the way up to Abram, to Abraham. So this is the first section of Scripture that we're dealing with, and, and if you've picked up a notebook, this is, I believe this is just a prologue to what God is going to do. I think the story, the story really powerfully begins in chapter 12 of Genesis, and I'll, I'll, I'll walk through that. We have three divisions here. We have the first division, which is creation and fall, the first four chapters, and then we have a genealogy. Then we have a second division, which is chapters 6 through 9, which is destruction. Then we have another genealogy, and then we have chapter 11a, which is the scattering of the people. So this this is the beginning. This is kind of the introduction. This is the starting of what God is going to do in this world. So we have the three sections, creation and fall. God created everything including human beings, placed them in a perfect garden, but Adam and Eve disobeyed the one command. Satan, sin, temptation became reality. And because of that, we're still suffering today. We're working today. Ladies, you're having pain in childbirth today. So we see then, and the, they, 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 they tried to get started, and there, was, there were glimmers of hope. There were people like Enoch, and there were people like Noah, but the world was full of corruption, and so God washed it all off and started again and repopulated the earth again. And then we see this, the, here the Tower of Babel where they didn't get it right again, and the, so God is scattering the earth. And so as I looked at these 11 chapters and I thought about these three divisions, We really haven't got any progress going yet we, we, we're just getting off the ground floor I think but I think what has happening as I've pondered this what we have happening here is some explanation for us who are naturally curious of how this all began with enough empty spaces for us to be frustrated probably about the whole creation story uh, where did can get his wife I mean there's all kinds of things what about the giants in the land in chapter 6? Where did they come from? So the Nephilim and all that. We have all kinds of questions about that. God just, he doesn't give us the answers because so then you have to say, well, it must not be really important for us to know. But Let me tell you what he did give us in these first 11 chapters. He gave us, I think, th- three big principles that form a grid for us to interpret the whole Bible. The first one is this, that Satan and sin and judgment are real that this world that sometimes we think is really great and sometimes we think it's really terrible that that's not just something in our minds it is that way this world is a spiritual battlefield every day you walk out into the world onto a spiritual battlefield where God is real and so is Satan good exists and so does evil The second truth is that man without God always submits to sin. We want to blame Adam and Eve, but if you had been Adam or Eve, you would have failed too, and so would I. I absolutely believe that. I don't think we're any better than them. We're made out of the same stuff. And so because of that, we come into this world broken, we come in this world lost, and we need God, Uh, the, the... theologians use the word depravity to speak of human beings and that's us we are depraved without god truth number 3 god is absolutely necessary for there to be rescue from sin and darkness and so this is going to be theme the theme through the bible we're going to see this whole spiritual battlefield being played out it's going to be played out in lots of ways between people, between governments, between false gods and the true and living God in the Old Testament. We're going to see it in lots of ways. and We're going to see people who triumph and follow God, and we're going to see people who fail miserably. Because, you see, man without God always submits to sin. But we're going to see that God, who is absolutely necessary, the one who is absolutely necessary there, for us to rescue us is our rescuer, and he is not far from us. It says in Jeremiah, he is not far from us. And while the good news of the gospel is always over and over again, is everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved? Everyone, and that is the good news of the gospel. So we're getting started. Um, you have a Bible reading for next week. It's Genesis. 12 or if you want to read 12 through 25 that would help you get more done i I apologize for the bible reading schedule it's terrible i'm just saying because some weeks i give you short readings and other weeks i say read all the prophets isaiah through malachi some weeks i say read all the gospels matthew mark luke and john or all the epistles so uh because that's the way I'm kind of going through it for my study. So that's the way it felt. That was, that was not without integrity. That is what I'm going to cover in the study. But if you want to get the Bible read, you're going to have to read more than that. If you read, I mean, I've got the whole Bible listed out there. If you want to take that on, you can. But if you want to do the short reading, you can do that. And I'm not going to test you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and give you a badge if you read the whole Bible. There's, there's, you don't get bonus points for that or anything like that. So anyway. But the short reading for sure will will cover give you something that goes along with what we're going to talk about each week. So next week, chapter 12. We're going to just focus on chapter 12, and it's going to be about Abraham, because that is really the beginning of the first act. This is prologue. Act 1 begins next week. I hope you'll be back for that. Let's stand together. As always, if I can help you with taking your next step, or anybody on my staff, when your next step on your spiritual journey, please catch us after the service or call us this week. Father, we, we're saddened at sin and darkness that's in the world, but we have hope today because the mighty God of this universe, the one who is sovereign over everything, willfully has chosen to be the lover of us and the one who came to rescue us so that we are not captured by the evil one and by sin. So we praise you today. We thank you for the greatest story of all, that we are players in a hopeless dilemma, but not hopeless because of a mighty... Mighty God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.